So Yeti sent me um, some safari hats to get ready for uh, our family trip to Africa on uh, on Saturday, Gabe. So I just wanted to show you that. I wanted to wear it, but I'm wearing a headset and it just doesn't work out. So, um, but yeah, man, getting ready to rock and roll, leaving in a couple of days for Africa. We're recording, we're ready to dive into a bunch of great stuff today. What's new with you, man? How's everything going? It's going good. I tried to snap a sneak picture of you putting that hat on for the for the social media. I, I got it though. I got it. I got it. Did you get it? You didn't even notice. Super sneaky. Yeah, look at that hat. That's a good look, man. <laughs> oh man. It's all I'm, good. Dude, I'm excited to hear about uh your safari trip. We'll have to do a, a dedicated episode to just hear about how that experience is. That sounds once in a lifetime. Um but no man, everything's good here. Texas is in like a, a historic drought. Um, I, I can't remember the last time the high hasn't been over triple digits and we like haven't seen rain. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate. We, we joke ar around a lot about how, you know, we started a farm and stuff, but it's, it's a hobby, right? Like for us, it's, it's fun and it's just something that we're super passionate about. But, you know, since we moved here, we've made a lot of really close friends with like people that do this, you know, for their livelihood. Um, and it's been really, really unfortunate to talk to them at the farmer's market and it's just, you know, this is devastating, dude. It's it's really hard for people that, you know, are super passionate about growing food for their communities. And, um, you know, they're, they're, it adds so much cost that they didn't see coming. You know, there's animals, you know, we have farmers that are, you know, just losing animals, like animals are dying because of the heat stress. It's it's really bad, man. It's, it's unfortunate. Dude, because I imagine what happens is because the temperatures are so high, these crops that require X amount of water normally they need maybe even double because they're just getting beat up on by the sun. And, and then the animals need protection from that and probably more hydration too. Is that, is that basically a big cost is water? Uh, no, it's not the water so much as like you have to start um, paying for excess feed because there just isn't enough for cows specifically to graze on. Like most of our friends are ranchers, mm -hmm. so they do meat. Um, so, you know, there's just nothing growing on the ground and, they have to bring in either extra hay or supplemental feed, or, you know, it's the cost of now it, it takes so much longer to grow out uh, a beef cow, right? Like usually they're expecting, Hey, I'm going to put nine months into this animal before I can, you know, take it to market. Um, but now that's going to take so much longer because there just isn't enough nutrition on the ground. Oh man. Well, keep me posted on that. Those are, those are problems that I don't even think about. Right. I mean, when I think like, you oh, never maybe, would, right? Right. When I think about like, oh, heat wave in Texas, like, man, that sucks. You're gonna have to stay inside, throw on the AC. You know, obviously it's not ideal for a bunch of, you know, outdoor activities and whatnot, but I don't really think about all the impacts it has on agriculture, on animals, on that type of thing. And not to mention your wife's pregnant. And so I imagine it's not the most comfortable thing to be in triple digit weather. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, definitely not the most comfortable. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we, we don't have to talk about this for too long, but I, I, I try and encourage people all the time, especially now that I like live in this world and know a lot of people, you know, if you are in a position where you can, you know, check out your local farmer's market, get some food from a local farmer, um, please do so. I mean, these people work really hard and, and the food is more nutrition and it's just a great way to support a local system. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But no, aside from that, man, all good. All good in Texas. Dude. Yeah. So, you know, we're leaving pretty soon for uh, Africa. So I've been to Kenya once. Um, when I went there, I, I flew into a place. Um, basically, the travel was pretty aggressive. And we flew from, it, we actually fundraised uh, as a gym to build schools in Kenya. And it was a really, um, 
<clears throat> mind opening my, you know, I don't even say mind blowing, just very opening. It opened my, my eyes to the way that there's a lot of places in the world that live in a poverty that I was unaware of. So I went there and we stayed for a week. We went in this like small village outside of a place called Mombasa. And it was in the middle of nowhere, no electricity, no power, no water. I mean, it was just, it was just totally different than what you're used to here in the United States. And this, this next time around is a completely different experience because it's my father-in-law's quote unquote bucket list trip. And, you know, it is, it is cool to, to, to think about, you know, as you get older and you, you know, you start thinking about, Hey, what do I want to accomplish before, you know, before I can no longer do it. Right. And when I'm, you know, handy where I can't get out of the chair, um, and this is one of his things. And so uh, I'm excited to go as a family. I'll have to keep you posted on our experience. I'm sure it's going to be a lot different than we went out there and built schools. Um, it's also a shout out to, to people who are maintaining their fitness. You know, like my dad's been walking every day, six miles. My father-in-law has been doing the same thing. And, you know, I got a lot of respect for people who are in their late sixties, early seventies, who continue to stay active so that, you know, they're not sedentary and they can do the things like going to Africa and not have to worry about going out on, you know, walks or, or, or safaris. So yeah, man, I'll have to keep you posted on how it goes though. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that they're, you know, staying fit so that they can do the stuff they love well into their, their sixties and seventies. Dude, it got me thinking a lot. Like I, I actually posted this to Slack is, you know, at NC fit, we've really kind of gone through different evolutions as a business. And, and one of the things I was actually talking to Ben Berger about yesterday and it actually really sparked my, my, we, we say at NC Fit, we're all about helping people live freely and live fully. And I think for a while, like I kind of combined those two, live freely, live fully as like one thing, meaning like come into our gym, get a great workout and be able to not have fitness inhibit the things you want or need to do. So if I you know want to go on a hike, if I want to go keep with my kids, I could do those things. And I kind of summarize them both. But the more I think about live freely, live fully, I actually think it's a little bit different now that I've put more thought into it where... Living freely is physical, meaning come into our gym, develop physical capabilities so that you don't have to worry about getting off the toilet or going on a hike. That's living freely. Then you have living fully, which I think is really the psychological side, the mental side of coming into the gym every day, facing these micro adversities, facing these challenges, and then being able to kind of like overcome those challenges in the gym and then how they let you live more fuller outside the gym. So, you know, for people who do exercise regularly, I encourage them to think about it through that lens because that's been really cool for me. This is a piece that lives me, helps me live freely. This is a piece that helps me live fully to develop those mindset tips. And they, shout out to Ben Bergeron for kind of unlocking that for me a little bit more yesterday. Yeah, no, that's it's a good way to think about it, man. And and you know, I'm super fortunate that both my parents and my in-laws, um, you know, kind of like yours, are super active, and it's. It's cool to see, especially now that they're, you know, both super excited to have a grandchild coming and that they're, you know, both in the neighborhood. Um, so they're, you're excited to spend a lot of time with them. Like my dad has kept this like little trailer that he can tow with his bicycle that he used for like my little sister. So this thing is old and he's kept it in pristine shape and he rides his bike all the time. And he always says how excited he is to now have his grandchild that he can put in this thing and like take him for bike rides. And, you know, my dad's no spring chicken. He's, um, you know, he's 64, but he, he rides his bike, you know, he'll go for a 20 mile bike ride because, you know, it's something he enjoys. And it's so cool to hear him, 
you know, be excited for, you know, something that now he's going to be able to do with a grandchild that he did with, you know, my little sister years ago. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's exciting times all around. Uh, we have a nice, uh, we have a solid webinar coming up later today, actually with the the team from Wattify, um, which I'm really looking forward to. And then we got some questions coming in from Instagram in regards to nutrition and training. We definitely want to dive into those. Um, where should we start, dude? What do you want? What do you want? Where, where do you want to wrap about first? Well, this is probably going to come out in, in a few weeks because we're trying to build a hedge for uh, Jason's big safari trip. But I think it's still worth just touch a base really quick on some of the things we were talking about regarding this Wattify webinar. Um, so just as a, as a note here, if you're listening to this podcast and, you know, some of the things we talk about really spark some interest to deep dive in the webinar that we give, just shoot an email to collective at nc.fit. I'm sure that by the time this comes out, we'll have a link to that recording. Um, so if you didn't register for the webinar or for some reason you missed it, um, we can definitely get that to you. So you get kind of like the, the full picture. But the, the thing Jay and I were talking about here before we hit record is one of the questions that was asked um, to people that registered for the webinar was, and I'll, I'll read it word for word, is what is an obstacle you're facing that's currently preventing you from stepping away from coaching full time? And so the topic that we're covering on the podcast is this idea of, okay, what steps do you need to take to step away from coaching full time? So if you're a gym owner, you know, and you find yourself coaching, you know, still coaching, you know, 40 hours a week, and you feel like you can't step away from that, that the, that's what the business requires. The whole webinar we want to give is kind of giving people some tangible steps to step away from that. But what was interesting is that question that we put out actually got a, a bunch of responses. You know, we had over 200, well, just under 200 gym owners that actually took the time to give an answer to that question and, you know, skimming through it before we hit record here, the two themes were essentially boiled down to staffing and, and money. Um, and I think that a, it's interesting that that many people, you know, we've, we've done many webinars in the past, all different types of topics, and we've gotten different levels of engagement and excitement. But I think the fact that out of the respondents, more than half took the time to answer the question. I think that, this is something that's really top of mind for gym owners out there. And it was interesting that, you know, skimming through the answers, I would say that 90% of the answers fall under exactly one of those two things, staffing or money as why they feel like they can't step away. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I thought it was interesting too. I mean, getting 200 gym owners to respond to a question it, it alone is a, is a, is I, I was shocked. Right. And so we're going to dive into that on the webinar today and, and, you know, it's my goal to kind of start discussing, I mean, I mean, Gabe, I mean, we've been in this industry for so long. We have so many gym owners that come to us and I love these people. They're hardworking. They're, they're putting in the work. They're, they're making an impact on so many people's lives, but they're, sometimes they find themselves in this, um, for lack of a better term, just kind of like, um, groundhog day where they wake up they they coach six to eight classes a day. Boom. Next time, next time. And, you know, they, they can't have the opportunity to go travel with their significant other. They can't do this because they haven't built up the business enough where it really relies on them and their time. And I think they're getting to a point where they've been in the business, business three, five, seven, 10 years. And they're saying to themselves, hey, what could I do to step away from coaching full time? Assuming that's your goal. If that's not your goal, then go for it. But if you're the owner of the business, more likely than not, you have other obligations that 
we need to discuss. If you're a full-time coach, keep rocking and rolling, right? That's your responsibility and you should be doing that really well. But if you're an owner, there are other responsibilities and there are other ways to, to not coach full-time if you don't want to. And that's what we're going to dive into in this webinar, which I'm really excited about today. Yeah. And obviously we don't want to give the entire webinar um, away here. I just thought that it was really interesting, A, how many people responded and two, the fact that there's such a common roadblock seemingly getting in gym owner's way, which is, you know, the, the, the money and staffing. Um, and I think that, you know, one thing that, that Jay and I were talking about before hitting record is it is really tough because it's kind of like a, a, a chicken and an egg question, right? It's how do you get the revenue to then staff up so you can step away. But sometimes what's required for you to get that revenue is to staff up in the first place. So I think that, you know, what the talk is going to boil down to, or maybe if we can just take the advice we're going to want to give gym owners a little bit later and boil it down to like a, a 30 second elevator pitch, it's, you know, you just have to take the dive. Like if you know that what you need to step away from the business is to staff up, but you're like just not quite there yet to do it comfortably, like it would be a stretch. I think you just have to do it and you have to take a chance that you're going to get the right person. You have to make sure you do your due diligence to put them in the right position and have the right systems in place so that that person can be successful. But you just have to take the dive. And that might be scary because, you know, it's not like money's growing on trees right now, but you really have to, you know, take a chance that this hire is going to be what allows the revenue to come in so that the hire is kind of paying for themselves. And now you're off to the races and really growing where you're going to grow. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you never take that leap, and just wait for, you know, magically the revenue to hit a number where you're like, oh man, now would be easy for me to hire that next person. Um, you might find yourself waiting for a really long time. Yeah. I think that's a great way to summarize it. You know, like you're never going to have, you're, you're probably never. <laughs> and that was, and that was not a 30 second elevator pitch. That was like a 90 second yeah. elevator pitch, but you know what I mean? No, it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know if you want to equate it. This is kind of like a, a stretch, but it's like, uh, okay, I'll use this analogy, having kids. Okay you could sit there and you could talk about it. You could discuss it. You could, but there never will be a absolutely perfect time. There will always be hesitation always. And there should be, it's a huge decision. It's, it's a massive, massive responsibility, but you're never going to say, Oh dude, we're perfectly lined up. We have all the money we ever wanted. Our jobs are super, you know, flexible. We could do whatever we want. We have all of our grandparents and babysitters built in. We already have the room set up for the baby. You're never going to say that you're going to say, Hey, look, like we're ready. For, we, we know we need to do this. We need to get it, you know, move on and you make the best calculated decision you can at the time. And, you know, I know those aren't exactly the exact same things, but it's just making your first big hire. It's, it's never going to be perfect. And you're never going to feel like you have all the money in the world to hire them. You, you, you just won't. I mean, you have to go out on the limb at times and I've done it multiple times. And most of the time it's worked out really well. Sometimes it hasn't worked out as well, but I'd say more times than not, it's worked out really, really well. And we're going to give tips in this webinar on ways that I think we could have done it better <clears throat> from the beginning and not taken on as much risk, but we still would have had to take on risk in the first place. Like if you're an entrepreneur in your business and you're taking on risk anyway, so you might as well just let it ride. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't want to get too much into what we're going to cover in the webinar. So I think that's a good little primer. And again, if you do end up missing it, just shoot us an email and, and we'll make sure to get you that recording. Um, 
But with that said, I mean, I, I love the fact that we're still getting a bunch of awesome nutrition training questions um, to answer on here. So Jay, do you want to go first or? Yeah. You know what? I'll shoot off this first one. I was, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, an athlete, of, uh, an athlete friend of mine. And this guy is pretty, pretty fit, pretty um, lean, pretty built, right? Um, he, he's a little smaller, right? He's about five, five, seven, um, maybe a hundred in. 40, 150 pounds, right? So he's pretty lean. He has muscle tone and he, he looks good. In my opinion, he looks really active, really fit. So I'm, I'm talking to him. I was like, Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah. He goes, dude, look, I just want to get jacked. I want to be super jacked and I want to look really, really built. And I was asking him, Hey, what are you doing to, to get there? Right. And obviously he's eating well, he's doing a lot of body weight conditioning and body weight exercises like sit-ups and push-ups and stuff like that. But I think the part that he's missing is an external load. And so my advice for anybody who wants to get jacked and, and Jack can mean a bunch of stuff to a bunch of people. But when I think about Jack, I look at someone who has pretty big muscle definition. Um, I would like, let's just say you look at someone who's like skinny, but, but kind of tone, I'd say, oh, that person's lean. Or that person's tone. I wouldn't necessarily say jacked. What would make me say jacked is if they had like, you know, pretty big muscle definition as well, right? You're starting to see those muscles built in. They have growth, they have size, and they are lean as well. That That's what I would say is jacked. And my advice to this individual was that they have to start incorporating an external load if they want to look jacked, where they cannot just do body weight, you know, cardio, body weight exercises and expect to gain muscle size, they could build definition. They could build leanness, of course, but the external load is key, including uh, major, major lifts like the power lifts to build overall size, deadlifts, bench press, back squat, and then obviously supplemental exercises to really isolate different muscle groups, such as bicep curls, tricep extensions, things of that nature. And so if you're looking to get jacked, a key to that, in my opinion, is adding an external load. And if you're not doing that today, I think you're missing out on a good opportunity. I prefer the term yoked, but, um, no, I, 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 I love this question. Yoked man. and jacked are the same. I think so. I, I think yoked is like what we used to say in college, um, more so than, than, than jacked, but it used interchangeably. Yeah. I, you know what? I got to agree with you. Like when I think of like, Oh, that, that person. And by the way, in general, I don't think I've ever referred to, um, Generally, this is for guys. I call them jacked or yoked. I don't know if I've ever called a girl, and I don't know if they would even look at it as a, I don't know if they would look at it as a compliment. I'm not quite sure. I, I'm not a girl. I don't know how they would feel about it. But yoked and jacked are common in, in the, the male descriptors, I would say. Man, the, real quick side story here. Pretty funny side story. I don't know if Ariel will appreciate me saying this story, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so we, we met a friend that helped us with a bunch of farming stuff early on when we got started here. Um, and whenever we went to go like pick up hay or anything, um, we would go to his place and, you know, load our truck and, you know, Ariel's super fit. She's, I, I think, I think she's pretty jacked and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, and so whenever we would go pick stuff up, you know, she would, you know, put on gloves and get her hands dirty and load the truck with hay with the, the rest of us or do any heavy lifting that we needed to do. And so there was this one time where he was actually delivering a, a chicken coop that was made out of steel. So it was pretty heavy. Um, and Ariel wasn't around. I forgot what she was doing. She was busy or traveling. And this, this guy, this farmer friend of ours 
was like, man, I thought Ariel was going to be here. You know, she's as strong as an ox. And uh, it was just funny because I told Ariel that story and she was like, man, like that's not a way you want to be described as a girl as strong as an ox. But I thought it was pretty cool, you know, for her, for him to like, remember that, you know, she's, she's really strong for what people I think outside of the fitness space expect from, from a woman, which is, I I think pretty cool. Makes me, you know, pretty proud as a, as her husband. Um, but it was just pretty funny. She was like, yep, not what you want to be referred to as a woman as strong <laughs> as an ox. Hey, I mean, maybe, eh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I think it's a compliment, but then again, you're also on a farm. And so it kind of relates and blah, blah, but I could see how she can maybe not take that the, the same way, but it's yeah. funny how people, it's all about the intention. And this is like a whole separate thing about, you know, cancel culture, this and that, but it's like the intention behind the words are so important, you know, like, like, sure. It, the intention is like a positive one. Like, Oh, she's strong as an ox. Like, wow. But yeah. then all of a sudden, if you take that out of context, like you're, it could be taken the wrong way, but his intention was like something of power, something of, of, of endearment, of compliment, you know? For sure. Yeah. 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 And she wasn't like actually yeah. even in the slightest upset. It was just funny. We laughed about it and she was like, man, never thought I'd be described that way, but it's, it's pretty funny. Um, but no, I, I, I love the question and I love, I, I love the fact that, you know, um, you bring up an external load because what it comes down to is progressive overload. And I think that one thing that a lot of people don't realize when they're, you know, like you said, he does push-ups and sit-ups every day or, or a lot of body weight stuff. It's really hard to do progressive overload when you're just using body weight, right? Because what you're lifting in a push-up isn't going to change week after week, unless you're you know, obviously you can do push-ups with a weight vest or a heavier weight vest, but then that's exactly what you're doing. You're doing something with an external load. And that's what's so powerful about grabbing a barbell and incorporating some pressing, some hinging, some squatting is you're very easily able to, you know, I'm going to squat 220 pounds this week, next week I'm going to do 230, so on and so forth. And it's that progressive overload that causes stress in your body that is really what helps hypertrophy happen. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's really important for people to realize that and not just think that, Hey, if I'm doing more and more and more of this body weight movement, that it's somehow going to, you know, lead to bigger muscles. Yeah. hundred percent. And so it just, it just got me thinking, you know, if you're out there and you're hitting a bunch of body weight and you're feeling good, but you have a desire as a male, female, whoever, right. Um, you got to start adding in that, like you said, progressive overload. Yeah. You can start doing things like tempo. You could start doing additional stuff, but at the end of the day, you will, you will primarily cap out on that loading. That's my position on it. And you got to start then adding something, even if it's something small. And I think there's a lot of benefits from that. So, um, I, that, that's the, that's the recommendation on external loads and getting jacked. I wrote that down. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, on, I think something that might be a little bit more relatable to a lot of the people listening to this podcast, you know, there's a lot of men out there specifically, I feel like that, you know, I have been using an external load for five years and I'm still not jacked, right? Like what the hell is going on? I'm not just doing pushups. I'm going to CrossFit or NC fit and I'm doing deadlifts and all of this stuff. And, and I still don't look like Jason Kalipa, like what's going on here. Um, and I think that then the conversation becomes a lot about a, like, the proper nutrition for putting on muscle. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't or, or become hesitant with being in a caloric surplus and putting on weight, even if that 
might be a like a little bit of muscle and a little bit of fat, because that's really the only way you're going to put on muscle, especially if you're a hard gainer, which someone as lean as your friend probably is, you know, there are people, and I've said this before that, you know, they'll look at a squat rack for a month and just put on muscle. Like it's just in their genetics versus people, you know, like me, a lot of endurance athletes, probably your friend that have always kind of struggled to, to, you know, yes, we could be lean and, and, and kind of defined, but we don't just put on a lot of mass. Um, and I think that, you know, for those people, they really have to realize that like, you got to eat, you got to eat a lot, like a lot more than you think you have to eat to, to kind of get there. Um, and that's where I think that, uh, you know, maybe working with a nutrition coach or having a plan where you're doing six months of like really gaining, and then you cut back a little bit to burn off the excess fat. That is really how you'll like, look at yourself and be like, man, like, that's the progress that I wanted to see. And I know sometimes that's not what people want to hear, but you know, for some of us, it's a little tougher than others. And it requires that level of like, you know, very specific discipline and having a plan, so on and so forth. If you're really trying to quote unquote, look, look jacked and look yoked. Yeah. I mean, last thing on this, you know, it's, it's funny. I've been working with uh, Mason Fowler, who's a professional jiu-jitsu athlete for quite a while now. And I have had, I've had him on a five, three, one bench and back swap program for, for a couple months. And right now he's cutting down for a big jujitsu tournament. So he, he was dropping from like two, he's, he needs to lose like 30 pounds over the span of X amount of months. Not like a crazy, like, you know, day of type of thing, which I'm sure he's done that too, but like over the span of months, he needs to lose a certain amount of weight. So what I've noticed is he's actually lost 15 pounds in the last six weeks, but his bench press has also gone up, uh, 15 pounds in the last, uh, six weeks or whatever it was. And so it's been this cool kind of like dissection of he's, he's been increasing his strength. And even as he's dropping weight, he's still seeing those strength gains because of just stimulating the muscle on a re reoccurring basis and only doing it, uh, once a week. So it's been, it's been interesting to watch just because his body hadn't been, uh, getting that type of strain stimulus for many years. So now that we're doing it, it's still seeing byproduct, even though he's cutting weight at the same time, it's been cool to watch. I'll have to report back to you once, uh, once, once we kind of finish these cycles as he gets ready for ADCCs. Yeah, that's, that stuff's really cool. You know, and that kind of takes me into the nutrition question that I wanted to answer, which is, you know, someone asked for tips on gaining muscle mass while maintaining gymnastics capability. Um, and the reason that that kind of, you know, was a good segue into that question is being good at gymnastics. Obviously there's the skill side of things, right? Like you have to practice being efficient at a muscle up or a handstand push up or whatever. Um, there's technique there that I think is very important. But I think that the other big piece is like the, the power to weight ratio, right? Like how strong are you versus like how much weight you're going to have to get over the rings or, or, or press upside down to do these movements. And, you know, I think that for the person asking the question, um, I think that this is where there's the benefit to being super patient with weight gain. Mm -hmm. Like if you're trying to put on muscle mass for a lot of reasons, you know, it's really important to do so at a rate that's actually very, very gradual and really like, you know, take a year to do it. Take several months. Like you're not going to, Hey, I want to put on all this muscle in like 30 to 60 days, because if you're in like a very, very big caloric surplus, that's going to allow you to gain that much weight on the scale, our bodies, and this varies from person to person, 
but especially if you're someone that's been training for a long time, our bodies are going to always lean towards gaining more fat than muscle. It's very hard for you to put on new muscle. It's very easy for you to put on fat. And so I think that my biggest piece of advice here would be to be very patient with that muscle gain and weight gain and try and find something that's like a very modest caloric surplus so that you can continue training these gymnastic movements as you're going up in weight slightly and therefore kind of like also get stronger and proficient with them in, you know, at those heavier weights as opposed to, you know, just going crazy. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you could string 10 muscle ups together. And now you can only do two because you're, you know, 10, 15 pounds heavier in 30 to 60 days. So that would kind of be my advice there. I think that there, that's another benefit to really taking your time if you're trying to be on a gaming phase. And then obviously, you know, the obvious piece is continue to practice your gymnastics as you're, you know, gaining. If that's really important to you, you can't just be like, well, I'm going to gain and get strong now. I'm benching a bunch, pressing a bunch, squatting a bunch, but I'm just going to magically keep my proficiency in gymnastics when I'm 10 pounds heavier. Yeah. I mean, on that note, you know, I'll share with you something that's, I think, really important for me. So through my years of competing, I try to fluctuate my weight based on what I thought my body needed at the time. So I went as low as like a, uh, like 201 pounds, 202 um, to as high as 220 um, over the span of like a, a 10 year competition cycle. And what I found was that my sweet spot was like 205, 208. It allowed me to feel strong enough to lift the heavy loads, but also allowed me to feel light enough to do the gymnastics. But I want to caveat that by saying that I spent more time on the gymnastics than most people for stamina building. And so I used EMOMs every 30 seconds and every day to develop stamina in those positions. So I'll give you an example. If this gentleman or person wants to gain muscle, yes, they need to lift loads and eat well. Okay, got it. But in addition, what I would do um, pretty much four to five days a week is I would add in gymnastics-based EMOMs that would be focused on movements that I needed. Because the, the, the thing that you would say is, do I have the prerequisite muscle strength to do a muscle-up? Yes. Can I do a handstand push-up on parallettes? Yes. Well, then it's not necessarily like a one rep max issue that I'm having. It's a muscle stamina issue that I'm having. I cannot do that for a hundred reps. I can only do it for five. Okay. Well then I don't need to develop my peak prerequisite strength. I don't need to be doing muscle ups, the weight vest on necessarily, but what I do need to do is develop my stamina. So the way that I found that I could best do that is through EMOMs. So in my garage on a regular basis, I would do handstand pushups 10 every minute on the minute for 10 minutes, something simple pull-ups, strict chest to bars, 10 every minute on the minute for 10 minutes. And you're getting in the volume and you're working through ranges of motion and you're developing stamina in those positions. I would also then add in, if you want to start talking about gymnastics based or body weight, you know, four to 500 air squats at a setting, you know, twice a week, in addition to my additional training to build up my leg stamina. And so these are examples of things you could do while you're trying to build up your muscle your strength, your, your, your eating effectively also adding in 10 minute EMOMs, you know, two to three days a week of the movements that you are struggling with to your point, Gabe, about practicing them. I found EMOMs are the best way to go. And I found in particular strict chest to bar muscle up and toe to bar were the three that really packed a big punch for me and helped me across many other things. Oh, and handstand pushup. And I'd add in EMOMs starting off with five a minute 
And then once I accomplished that for 10 minutes, I would then go to six and then go to seven and then get to a place where basically I was, I was hitting those volumes. Yeah. EMOMs are a great way to train gymnastics. Um, we used to do that a lot back when, you know, we had like a little competition group at my gym back home, you know, is figure out, um, the movements you need to work with start, just like you said, a number every minute and try and kind of, you know, again, progressively overload on those movements, you know, getting better at something always, always comes back to adding a little bit week in and week out. And I think EMOMs are a great way to do that because it holds you accountable and you can easily um, see if you're improving because you're like, Hey, I'm doing 10 minutes every minute on the minute. A month ago, I was able to do five every minute on the minute. Now I'm doing seven. That's very measurable that now you have better stamina in those movements. Yeah. And it's a great way to kind of earn confidence and build wins. Mm. Like if you're, if you're starting off like, dude, just do five strict pull-ups a minute for 10 minutes. It's going to feel easy as an example. Right. And then rock and roll, like leave and you're good. Then the next week do five again, but maybe this time do strict chest to bar. And then the next week do five again. And then once you feel like, dude, this is way too easy, then maybe go five for half the time and six for half the time. But there's always a way that you can kind of like build in this confidence where you feel like you're winning. And then eventually, you know, those wins, they're not as easy to find. But in the beginning, just try and build wins because it's a great way to earn that confidence and to feel excited to do it, you know, two, three days a week. And I think toes of bar, handstand pushups and, uh, uh, you know, pull-ups are, are great examples of ones you could add in. Yeah, those are all really good examples. What was your, um, I guess these could be two separate questions. What was your favorite gymnastics movement back when you were competing? And what was the one that you were like best at? And maybe they're the same. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I was pretty good at handstand walking, right? If it, I mean, um, you know, I won the event at regionals. Um, I, I was pretty good at handstand walking, so I liked that. But then um, I'd say, I mean, I don't know, dude. I was I got pretty proficient at kipping handstand pushups too, but they're also really difficult because once they burn out, they burn out, right? So I'd say my least favorite would be like a muscle ups um, ring. I just wasn't as competent as other athletes on that. And then I don't know if you remember, but in the 2010 CrossFit Games, it was it was ring handstand pushups, and those I were remember that. Volume. or muscle up to ring handstand pushup. I used to practice those a lot too. And you know, what's interesting for those people who have never done a muscle up to ring handstand pushup it is utilizing your leg to wrap around the, the straps and then pull your body up as you're pressing. A lot of technique was incorporated and people in 2010 cross the games who knew what they were doing had a huge advantage um, versus people that didn't. But anyways, I'd say like handstand walking, I got pretty good at. Um, and then um, that's about it. My least favorite was probably muscle ups. Another question I wanted to ask you, and we don't have to spend too much time on this and we probably just have 10 minutes left anyway. Um, there's been a lot of buzz lately and maybe there'll still be buzz. I, so this is probably going to come out, what, after the CrossFit Games, maybe around the CrossFit Games? Either way, though. There's been a lot of buzz around, it seems like there's a lot of athletes this year testing positive for banned substances. Um, more so than I definitely, from an outsider looking in, remember there being in the past. I don't know if there's been more coverage of it, more publicity, but it feels like there's a lot, a lot of it going on. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I, I don't think a single, uh, maybe there was one example of someone that just owned up and was like, Hey, I did what I did. 
I fucked up, like, you know, kind of take it on the chin, yeah. which I think is, is, you know, the admirable thing to do once you kind of get to that, that, that position. Um, but everyone's like, you know, tainted supplements. That's the, uh, you know, that's kind of like the toss up defense. It's like, Hey, I was taking like creatine or whatever. And that's what happened. Um, what I'd love to get your hot take on that. Yeah. So hot take number one, first off, I thought it was funny where there was some people talking some crap and saying, Oh, uh, like Dave Castro was, um, was, uh, he was like faking people's test results because he liked them. And now that he's gone, all these people are popping. I just want to clearly say, I think that's completely false. I don't think Dave ever touched any, any test of any type. And from all my years of experience across the games, I always thought they did a very professional, very comprehensive job. And I didn't think there was any interference from anybody at HQ. I think that's important to note because for anybody to think that the reason why more people are popping now is because Dave was like hiding the previous results. I think that's completely false. And I just want to demystify that. Now, moving on to, to today. Why, why do you have more people popping? Well, I mean, look, the sport's grown. The money, more money's there. There's more opportunity. Um, there's a lot. It's just the sport has evolved and changed. And I think that's important to note. But I think it's unfortunate. Um, first off, I think anything you put in your body, I think it's your responsibility to know what that is. And so if it's tainted supplements, it's still your fault. You know, I remember there was times where I would actually write a letter to uh, Justin Berg and the others at CrossFit Games and ask them, confirm with them that I was allowed to take a, um, allergy medication because, um, leading up to the CrossFit games, I was having some allergy issues, or I think even at one point I got some type of infection for something. Right. And I actually wrote them a letter saying, Hey, this is the medicine. This is what I'm taking. This is why I'm taking it. Is this approved by headquarters? And they would write back yes or no, or whatever. That was the level of care that you had to take because it was your responsibility as an athlete not to get popped. And so you shouldn't be taking anything that you even think is in the gray area. And I think that the reason why you see more of this going on across the games, especially you see it on team, which is, which is really unfortunate because all the other teammates that you have is because people, you know, they get, they get blinders on. And I've been in this position before and where you get blinders and all you care about is qualifying. All you care about is winning. All you care about is this. And you don't realize if you look back at it in hindsight, like, Hey, Maybe I didn't need to do this to even qualify. So what am I doing? And, or all you care about is qualifying. So you'll do whatever it takes to get there. And you think this is going to give you an edge. And I think for most people, most of the time, it won't give them an edge. Maybe it will a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, hard work and training and consistency are going to be what gets the top guys to the CrossFit games. And that's from my experience, what I saw. So yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate for the sport though. And you're going to continue to see it because with money, with fame, comes opportunities like this, I think. Yeah, I wonder, and definitely not a question, you know, I'm expecting us to have an answer for, but I'm wondering when, you know, it, it becomes a chicken and an egg question again. Like when does CrossFit, if they want to really professionalize themselves as a sport, work with an organization like WADA, for example, that I know the UFC works with now, that's like, you know, the, the gold standard as far as organizations that come in and take over you know, performance enhancing testing and make it super robust and super, you know, like really kind of weed everything out and make it so that now it's not going to be an issue moving forward. 
versus kind of what they're doing now, which it seems like, you know, they're trying to handle it internally and, and themselves and, and the challenges that come with that. So I'm, I'm wondering at what point something like that needs to happen. Cause I agree with you, right? Like, yeah, I'm not quite sure actually if that's, so from my experience, what would happen is when you qualify at a certain level, you would be put on a drug list, which to be fair, I'm still on this drug list today because they told me if I wanted to get off the drug list, they would have to announce to the community that I'm getting off the drug list, right? The, the drug testing list. And I just said, well, dude, like, I don't really care. You can come and drug test me if you want, but you know, I haven't competed professionally in a couple of years. In either case, I'm on a list designated by CrossFit. So I guess the only thing you could say is that there is um, there, there's a list that's created, however they create that list. And then based on my understanding, and I could be wrong here, it's turned over to a third party that then does all the drug testing. Now, I don't know if that third party is as credible or whatever as maybe whoever the UFC does, but my understanding is that CrossFit has nothing to do with the drug testing policy other than the fact of who's getting drug tested. Because I, I, I at times, dude, I mean, speaking from experience, like first off, every competition all the time, they would, they would drug test you. So I have, I had that all the time. And then the rules change where they actually had to watch it, like leave your body. And that was a whole like weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> like that was it, cause the rules were used to be like, Hey, just go, go pee in this cup and you're all good. Then it got, so what would happen is after you competed, you, let's just say you, you get on the podium, right. Or, or there's, there's random drug testing throughout the weekend. And then at the podium, you would, you were not allowed to touch anything or do anything or touch anybody once you hit the podium. So what would happen is you'd, you'd, you'd finish the event. They would immediately not let you touch, do anything. And then they would take to have you go get drug tested. And then you could come back out and go do your thing. But they had to actually watch it, leave your body, which was super awkward. But then people would just come randomly to my house. I mean, I would have people just call me and say, Hey, you know, you would have to announce when you'd be traveling. And aside from that, you were obligated to be in the place you were supposed to be at. And so they would just call you and be like, Hey, tomorrow I'm going to be there between these hours and these hours. See then. And, um, so I feel like it was always really well done. Um, but obviously it could be better, always better. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's good to know. Cause I, I think that right now with a lot of the coverage, um, it seems like it's not really well done and I don't know if anything has changed. Um, or I don't know if, you know, a lot of the stuff out there is, is sensationalized, but it's, it's good to know that it's, it was that thorough back in the day. And I would imagine it's still that thorough now. I, I can't see too much of that changing. Yeah. And, and you know, my always take on, look, people, there's always going to be haters online. They're going to be like, Hey, Jason, sure. all these people, they take steroids. My, my take on it and people could take this for what it's worth. When I first started competing in CrossFit, it was 2008. I won the CrossFit games and I won like $2,000, right? And I remember saying to myself, first off, I never had like too many outside pressure trying to have me take steroids, but there wasn't any money or real fame in the sport at that time. And I was the current reigning champion. The following year, I took fifth. So then all of a sudden, as the sport started to grow, I started asking myself, why would I mess with what's working? I'm, I'm still at the top. I'm still qualifying. I'm still doing well. Why would I ever introduce these outside supplements when I'm... I haven't needed them in the past. Why do I need them today? That was always something that went through my mind. And the other thing that went through my mind all the time is that years later, when I reflect on it, like I am right now, would I have wondered what if, did I need those supplements to perform at the level that I did? Like, what if you won the CrossFit games again, or in my case, I took second and third, 
And then I, I, I always doubted, like, was it the supplements or was it me? That was always something that stuck with me. Like I would always wonder what if, and so I just figured instead, just never go down that path. That was my take on it. And people could take that for whatever the hell they wanted. Like they could say <laughs> I'm poor shit or they could believe me. I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah. No, that's a good way to think about it though. Um, it's, it's always fascinated me being such a, you know, I would say lifetime fan. I used to be more into it of, of cycling back when I cycled and, and baseball. I think that if you were to like, you know, quickly like, you know, name sports that have been most closely tied to performance enhancing drugs, you know, cycling and baseball always come up. So it's always just been fascinating to me, you know, the controversies and the cover-ups and the, the conspiracies and the crazy stories in, in, in both of those sports. So it, it just always draws an interest to me. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. And it's also, I think, difficult to put yourselves in the shoes of something like professional cycling, for example, where, you know, essentially the sport, or, or at least, you know, what I've learned from it is that like, you either do it and you're a part of the, the, the sport or you don't, and you're never good enough to, to be a part of the sport, you know? Um, and it's crazy because it's then just make it legal, right? Like, don't make it this like weird, you know, it's illegal, but like, you know, people don't get caught. Um, and actually we'll, we'll end with this. I have a, a, another quick question for you. Ever since we went and did the, the BJJ filming, um, I've been like following a lot of like, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu like stuff on Instagram, just kind of like from outside looking in, like looking at the world. And yeah. um, so this guy, Gordon Ryan, right? Like he's supposed to be the best. Yeah. yeah. But like I was reading the comments and everyone says that he's, that he's juicing. What's yeah. the deal? Well, I mean, that's a good question. So in jiu-jitsu, they don't really, uh, at least not in the, the, the areas that they're competing in, test. Um, like at all? Like it's... Not that I'm aware of. I think in IBJJF, which is uh, what I'm looking to pursue, I, I think they might. I mean, they're not going to test me, but I mean, they, maybe they will test me now that I'm saying that. But I mean, whatever, it's fine. But uh, but is it is it technically illegal? Like, is it technically yeah. against the rules? It's technically against the rules. Like, but they don't test. But they don't test that that I'm aware of. And you know, I think that. Uh, but I, you know, here's the thing about jujitsu, and I mean, you could. See, CrossFit's a little different and cycling is even more different where like in CrossFit, there is going to be potentially an advantage like aerobically, like in cycling, the reason why people were utilizing, you know, blood, you know, uh, uh um, what do you call it? Um, where you add in more white blood or red blood cells. Um, yeah. 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 You, uh, blood you doping. Do um, blood doping. Blood, mm -hmm. Yeah. The reason why they were doing that is because they knew that there was an aerobic benefit to that. And in CrossFit, I could see them looking at these events and be like, Hey, you know, doing this steroid could benefit me for this way of recovery. For example, I feel like in jujitsu, there's so much to do with technical capability where, you know, I don't think performance enhancing drugs would help you there. But, you know, then again, I don't know enough about that. The, I don't know enough about the drugs. And I don't know enough about the sport to make a really calculated thing on that. I, I would even make the same argument for CrossFit. Like I, I imagine there's drugs out there that could help you with CrossFit, but because it's so broad and varied, it makes me wonder, like, is a, is a steroid that really helps you put on size going to help you in the CrossFit Games? Maybe. I think the steroid that makes you recover faster than anybody else is probably the one that people are looking for. I don't know what people have been popping um, for, though. So, But to answer your question, in Jiu-Jitsu, I'm not aware that they test. And if they do test, I don't think it's as common. Got it.
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, interesting, it, man. It is. It's all interesting. And I, I just wanted to, I wasn't expecting to talk about too, too much about the performance, you know, the drugs in CrossFit, but from my experience, I think it's really important to know from my experience in CrossFit, I, I never felt like anybody I was around utilized them. And I never felt like the testing was anything but the utmost professional. That was my experience. And uh, that's my take on it. There you go. Straight from the from an insider or an, insider, an, an ex insider. Yeah. All right, man. All right, brother. Well, hey, I hope you have a great time. Um, I'll keep you posted on Africa for everybody listening. Uh, shoot us a message on Instagram. See, you know, we we put up stuff where we ask people questions. Make sure you're checking it out at Jason Klepa at underscore Gabe Yanez. Hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking, and we'll keep chatting about different subjects that are on our mind. And uh, Gabe, appreciate you, bro, and have a great day.